Welcome! Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and joining me this week here in our Southern Illinois studios is our producer, Mason, and in West County, St. Louis, is Sean Campbell. How are you guys doing this week? Pretty good, all that can be considered. Um, the sweet embrace of sleep has eluded me, so I'm uh, I'm running on fumes here, but... I think we'll make it. I'm sorry, Mason. That's my bad. I stole your sleep. <laughs> I've been sleeping all weekend. I uh, I, I had a bout with the COVID, y'all, but we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Novel Coronavirus over here. Now you know why we keep him in a cave hey. in West St. Louis County. <laughs> <laughs> also know why I didn't make it out to the cup game like I was wanting to go. But, you know, things happen. There will be other games. There will be. And maybe better games. We'll have a little bit on that in a moment. Got a big show for you this week. Uh, we've got some action with the uh, lower divisions of St. Louis City. City 2 had a couple of big games. Uh, the Academies also played this week. No news coming out of the big club this week uh, since last week's announcements of season tickets and uh, head groundskeeper. But uh, we'll start off with St. Louis City 2 and MLS Next Pro. Their most recent game was this past Sunday night. It was a national game for MLS Next Pro, held at Herman Stadium on the campus of St. Louis University. And that's the nicest things I have to say about the game. <laughs> uh, City 2 took a beating against uh, Minnesota United FC 2, 4-0 at home. Uh, City 2 looks slow and uninspired, uh, much slower than I recall them ever being in any game. I don't know if that's a cup hangover, tired legs. There was a lot of rotation in the starting lineup coming off of a midweek U.S. Open Cup game, big one against Louisville City. Or if Minnesota United's just that fast. Akeel Jackson on the wing, on the left wing, just destroyed them in the transition uh, from the start of the game all the way to the end. It was a master class there. Uh, word is uh, there was six MLS contracted players for Minnesota and uh, St. Louis City 2 started uh, three teenagers, including 15-year-old Aaron Hurd in this one. So a little bit of mismatch, things you're going to get in MLS Next Pro, things that uh, might switch around when the Europeans come in in July and we're putting them out on the field against teenagers and uh, brand new professionals on the field if that comes to pass. Like I said, heavily rotated at the beginning. Kind of a bright start for about, oh, 10 minutes uh, for City, but they couldn't do anything with it. Uh, first break of the game, Jackson gets down for Minnesota down the sidelines. Got a uh, great tackle there by, uh, who was that? Awaya? I get, had a, I forget who the player was. Had it in my notes and lost them. Uh Great tackle to save him from scoring. That's in like the first eight minutes. Already I could tell Jackson was down and down for an extended period of time getting treatment from the training staff. Already I was thinking, boy, if you put this guy out of the game that early, that's the best play you're going to make all night. Wasn't meant to be, and uh, Jackson just terrorized uh, St. Louis City 2 in this one. The press for St. Louis City 2 never really got off the ground. A lot of that had to do with some really just poor passing. A lot of turnovers, especially in midfield, even in their own half, led to goals. And uh, also led to a lot of transition for Minnesota United, and they just ran past City too. So many times City looked like they were going to make the tackle. They just ran right through them, right past them, kept on going. Uh, they were crisp. They were clinical in front of goal, Minnesota was. Their passing and their spacing was top-notch, whereas with St. Louis City got down to their end, they weren't crisp, they weren't clinical, they were missing passes, they were slow. Minnesota had a disciplined defense, even if it was a break. Uh, City 2 allowed them to get back and cover and get into the defense, and it just wasn't a very good showing. And I uh, do have to say, I think a lot of it had to do with that cup game in the middle of the week. So. Really not a lot to take from this. I hope not. Uh, second game in a row, or maybe the third game in a row, that the attack for St. Louis City 2 just has been lacking, is a good word. 
perhaps not strong enough. Got to see if that gets improved upon. There seems to be enough talent here to make that happen. And uh, their early successes really seem to come off of the press rather than breaking down the opponents. Yeah, definitely would agree that it seems like they've been a bit anemic in the last few games, including that cup tie um, as far as attack goes. But that's something to remember about this is this is a young team. Um, They don't have as many pro players as everybody else does at the moment, just because we don't have a pro team to be sending guys down to fill out the roster properly. So a lot of these guys are, are a lot of them are probably getting their first real professional experience. A lot of them are academy level guys that are, you know, we're, we're pulling them up just to fill out a roster at the moment. Who knows? They might break through. Um, but you can't win them all. And I think a lot of that has a lot of the youth is showing right now because they're not used to cycling through three games in a week, uh, necessarily. Um, especially not the, you know, 16s and 17s guys who play maybe one or two games a weekend and then, you know, have maybe have a week or two off. But, uh, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much stock in the outcome here. Uh, it's a long season and I, I definitely agree once those Europeans come across the pond and actually get in in July, I think we're going to see a massive turnaround in, in form and also in quality of play. Yeah, because like we got guys like Aaron Hurd and uh, Dita Armstrong who have a lot of talent, but they're obviously extremely raw players. Um, and it was kind of a matter of time before we got something like this, but you kind of just have to take your beating and move on. It's going to happen. Learning experience. Uh, things in the attack, things to work on. It's a development league. So you look at what you're doing well and you keep that up and you look at what you're not doing well and try to change it. Hackworth knows this. He's worked with the U-17s on a national level. Mm-hmm. Also has worked with the uh, MLS team. So he knows this. He'll do what he can. Little behind the guns. Remember a lot of these other teams, they've got kids that have been in the academy for a long time played together uh they're they've had their teams at this level together for a while whether they were in usl2 a lot of them had them there the uh, city doesn't have it it's basically they're an ex they're an expansion team in mls next pro mm-hmm. is one way to look at it so it's a learning experience but you do look at what's there what isn't because hackworth at the end of the day is the director of coaching and while he won't be the head coach, you're going to look at a lot of the style and things that happen with this team. And it's a style of play that you'll see in the first team. Talent level may be a whole lot different, uh, but it's something to keep an eye on and just, you know, be aware of. Cautiously uh, optimistic, I think, is the right phrase to use with this. Mm-hmm. Spoke a lot about the U.S. Open Cup game that was played on Wednesday this past week. St. Louis City had a road game to perennial uh, USL championship uh, power Louisville City, formerly coached by John Hackworth. Uh, Louisville City was heavy favorites in this one, let's be honest on it. But uh, St. Louis, it was a slog of a game for them. They didn't have much in the attack, but they focused bunkering down on defense Worked on keeping Louisville City from scoring, and for 120 minutes plus, that worked very well. Yeah, this game was grueling to watch, but it was nice to see them hold off this really, really, uh, like, a seismic attack by Louisville City. They just never let up, and we we held them off. Uh, it was <laughs> it was god awful to watch, but <laughs> it was it was nice to see that. Unlike uh, the Minnesota game in Next Pro, uh, this one, the press did matter for City. They never really got it working against Minnesota, but against Louisville City, they were disruptive in the midfield. It really blunted a lot of attacks before they started, which is a good thing because Louisville City had a lot of attacks. Uh, but they played well, played above their heads, had their opportunities to, to steal the goal to win it, though they didn't offer they had opportunities, they just didn't take them. Got close a couple of times. Uh, did but they even have a shot on goal? Maybe one? They, I think I think official stats were three, but and only one of those was anywhere close. But uh, they did make it all the way to the penalty shootout and performed pretty well in that. Michael Creek did a lot of big stops during the 120 minutes, did not save any. Uh, did have one miss for Lou City, 
had two misses for St. Louis. Do the math. It was 9-8. Little City takes the win, advances in the U.S. Open Cup. Cup run for City 2 is over. Quite a showing in this on a road match. Did have some fans make the trip over there. A couple of buses of uh, staff and supporters went from uh, St. Louis over to Louisville City on that. We unfortunately were not one of them, any of us. Uh, but uh, one thing we were robbed of was a chance for the goalkeepers were going to be the next one to take penalties. We missed a goalkeeper round. That's a lot to go through. But somebody has to advance, and Louisville City does it on, you know, the 10th round of penalty kicks. Uh, it, it really looked like that was going to go the distance because uh, we had two stops against us, and then there was one miss from Lou City. They just missed the goal completely. But, uh, like, for the most part, everyone was automatic in penalties, just completely fooling these goalkeepers. Because, um, yeah, like, Michael Creek did not have an inspired <laughs> showing during uh, PKs, but honestly, neither did the Louisville goalie. No. And uh, Creek also did not save the penalty late in the Minnesota United uh, two game. Uh, but, of course, that's going to happen. So that was a eventful but a little sad week for uh, City 2. And they have a chance to pick things up coming up this Friday, 29th. They're going to Utah, going to play the Real Monarchs, the uh, MLS Next Pro team of Real Salt Lake. A good opportunity to bounce back. The Real Monarchs have not been in good form so far, going 0-2-2 in MLS Next Pro. Uh, they do have, oh, I forget his name, that 15, barely 15-year-old 15 uh, or 14-year-old player that they've already signed a homegrown to. See, be a good chance to get a look at him as well, as expecting him to play. Also, the Academy, the U-17s had a couple of uh, matches uh, in Creepcore at home against uh, FC Cincinnati, they drew 3-3, and the Columbus crew was a draw 2-2. Uh, no action for the U-16s this week. Uh, the crew, they also uh, had a draw against them in the uh, Generation Adidas Cup as well, if I recall correctly. I believe that's correct. And then didn't we did we win that in penalties, or was that just a draw? Uh, we won that in penalties and then lost to... Dallas, no, no, we lost to the crew in that last game. That's right. We, we had the draw against Dallas. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I've removed my notes from that <laughs> that <laughs> week's action. But that sums up everything we got for St. Louis City this week. Uh, a lot of uh, you know MLS Next Pro and U.S. Cup action, but not a lot of other action going on. Uh, see what breaks here in the next few weeks. Not everything's going to be like it was a month ago when everything was breaking everywhere. Player signings left and right. The general admission seats are still up for sale going through that list. I'm assuming been some griping about the process as usual, griping about everything. Uh, we're in the supporters section, so we're taken care of. Don't have a lot of insight for anybody with a lot of questions. Wish I did. Uh, on that probably we'll get more and more information as the process goes along. So moving on, next big story this week, we'll take a look at some MLS action. But the big story in MLS is really about the CONCACAF Champions League. It's the finals. You got uh, Seattle Sounders going against Pumas from uh, Liga MX. And in this one, the Seattle Sounders are pretty much a consensus favorites to win. That's new. I don't think any MLS teams walked in with the pressure of being favorites to win the final. They just had the pressure of trying to beat a Mexican team. Now Sounders have pressure of both. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, uh, it, it it is a kind of a bummer that the Seattle Sounders are are our heralds, but it's still exciting. Well, it could be that they're the best chance that MLS has ever had to win this this iteration of the Concacaf Champions League. They've got three high-quality designated players on their roster. Their TAM players are extremely good, like Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, Jal Paulo. Uh, they've got also Andrade. They got Neymar. Neymar. Uh, they've got uh, Nuhu. Alex Roldan's the captain of the El Salvador team since he joined during the summer. 
there's a lot of talent in that starting staff. You got Rusnak, Rui Diaz, Ladero. There's a lot. And then off the bench, you've got players that could start. You've got Montero. You've got Will Bruin coming off the bench. Uh, you've got the youngsters, Obed Vargas, the 16-year-old from Alaska, who's just been lights out really well for him. So they've got a lot going on. They've got a lot of depth, a lot of talent. They've got a lot of experience playing in big games over the years, MLS Cup every, you know, every other year, or every year sometimes. Uh, we're going to have a big wild crowd there at Lumen Field. They've already sold out the lower section for the second leg, the return leg. They're hoping to sell out the top. That'd be seventy-two thousand for that. Going to be a lot of people uh, coming up tomorrow night's the game in. Uh, Mexico City at the Stadio Olimpico Universidio. That's 9.30 Central Time. Nice early start for you. That's 9.30 p.m., yeah. to be clear. Uh, there's going to be a big crowd there. This could be the best attended final. It's going to be a tough matchup still. Pumas got their way through. Everybody's expecting Cruz Azul. Uh, Pumas is here. They'll be playing. And, of course, we all know that disappointment is the overriding factor for MLS in uh, in, in a CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah. Um, do, we're doing a little bit of uh, counting chickens here, talking about Seattle being the favorites and everything. This is not a done deal. Well, they are favorites, mm -hmm. but that changes the second the ball kicks off. Exactly. Uh, so talk up what you can. It's a new conversation, one we haven't had before. Maybe the closest was Toronto... In 2018, going up against uh, Chivas. Chivas was not very good in the in uh, the league that year. But uh, Toronto failed at home in the first leg. They lost 2-1 to Chivas, then had the big comeback to win at Chivas. You know, 2-1 to set it up and then lost in penalties in that one. This time, Seattle gets the home leg second. First of all, in Mexico. That's never happened before. Uh, road goals are going to be so important to Seattle and limiting Pumas from getting a lot of goals at home. Well, the question is, Seattle's played a couple of different ways this year. They could play on the front foot, hold possession, and come after you. But especially uh, early on against Leon, they were extremely effective uh, holding back in their defensive shape and breaking on the counter to the point the team that was bunkering on defense dominated the game. And dominated the proceedings. Be interesting to see if that's the way that they play on the road. I you kind of expect that to be. Uh, Pumas will probably want to have possession. If they both don't want possession. Uh, that <laughs> That'd be an interesting game to watch. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Uh, but we'll find out uh, for listeners tonight. For us recording on Tuesday, tomorrow night. Really looking forward to that. 9 p.m is the start time for the first leg of the CCL. Next Wednesday will be the final in Seattle on that, and really hoping that there's real hope going into that one. Seattle can go into that with a 3-0 lead on the going home. Yeah, that would feel pretty good. Yeah. So that's the big news in uh, MLS, but there was other news in MLS. And uh, running down some of the action, we got Sean Campbell to go over that for us. What happened this week in MLS, Sean? Well, we've got some big news, first of all. Um, absolute, I, I don't know how I want to describe this game. Mason, how would you describe what happened in a word, in one word? What, how would you describe that game between Team Chaos and the Sounders? A stunner. <laughs> That's a good one. I. I believe I'd go something along those lines. Um, for those that aren't in the know, uh, Team Chaos, the San Jose Earthquakes, ended up coming back and beating Seattle. What what was the final in that one? 4-3, I believe. 4-3. Yeah. And at one point in this game, Seattle was up 3-1. to one, And somehow, they came together after firing their head coach, and they somehow come out and put out a performance like that. And it just goes to show, any given Sunday... You know, new manager bounce. Mm -hmm. Plus, right after Seattle was up three one, then they had a minute where they just like quit playing. 
Stefan Fry, with one of the biggest howlers he's ever had, let in a goal, and less less than a minute later, defense slept again, and the next thing you know, it's 3-3, and then that led to the San Jose goal at the end. Mm-hmm. Seattle really looked like they were looking forward to playing Pumas and had taken San Jose for granted. That's yeah. what focus on a cup run does for you. Yeah, I'm, although, I mean, let's be completely honest here. I don't think it's too big of a stretch to take San Jose for granted, at least the way they've been playing. But it can come and bite you real easy. Oh, the yeah. first win for San Jose, they've come back and gotten draws, but they haven't come back to win. But they've always had to come back to even get the draws. Oh, yeah. We definitely, we officially have no more winless teams in the MLS. So we can just cut that segment right out, too. <laughs> um, but honestly, I you could chalk it up to new manager bump. You could chalk it up to, you know, maybe San Jose just said, you know what, if they're willing to, you know, maybe the players took a look at themselves and said, if they're getting ready to fire, if they fire the head coach, who knows, maybe one of us is next. And they all kind of stepped up. Um, Christian Espinoza, for one, came out with a hat trick and absolutely stole the show of the game. Um, yeah, real put your team on the back moment see there. Oh, yeah. You love to see those kinds of moments in the sport, for sure. And he's very much deserving of of uh, player of the week honors for that one. Uh, the crazy lineup of Almeida was gone. No more six in the back. Stuff like that. Still some unoptimal, suboptimal uh, lineup choices for uh, the interim coach, Ashley, who was also one that uh, had taken over before Almeida was uh, hired. And it's just fascinating. They, there was times in this game where San Jose, the three goals Seattle scored, scored because San Jose made massive personal mistakes on the field. Francisco Calvo at one point got caught out when Jordan Morris scored. He was 60 yards out of position, the center back. He was up the field. Morris scored right where he should have been. Of course, all those Chicago Fire fans out there like... uh Tio Luis will know that uh, Francisco Calvo isn't even MLS standard, but he's still playing for San Jose. Yeah, I was uh, I was going to say RIP to an era with uh, Almeida leaving, but uh, yeah, 60 yards out of position, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they've got better center backs than him. Uh, Nathan and Bison are better. The team plays better when they played. They showed it last year. They're still not doing it. Let's see if that changes. Uh, but enough talk about the uh, the quakes. What's next, Sean? Well, LAFC stay in LAFC. They remain super hot with a comeback win against FC Cincy. They went down fairly or relatively early, and then ended up playing com- playing catch up. Ended up coming back to win two one in that game. But that's LAFC for you. They're they're never down and out. At least not this year. Uh, since he seemed to put up quite an effort and really took it to LAFC, but it's it's just how LAFC is. They're never they're never done until that final whistle's gone. That's for sure. Shout out though to uh, FC Cincinnati. If you look at the stats for expected uh, you know expected goals, chances created, they're running at the top of the league. They are an offensive attacking force with a lot of talent up front. And they're still a little shaky in defense. They are having trouble converting those chances into goals, but Cincinnati's at least respectable this year. Yeah, they're not. So a, far, they're not a complete laughing stock. Yeah, so far, still early days, but uh, uh, Lucho Acosta has really meant a lot to that attack. Uh, coming back after he left uh, DC United, um, he played a big role in this one. Still got some tricks up his sleeve, so can't really sleep on Cincinnati. Too much this year. Uh, of course, you could sleep on the New England Revolution. Apparently, you can. <laughs> uh, Carlos Gil uh, getting yelling and screaming at Arena about what's this crap going on out here on the field. As <laughs> <laughs> they're not playing, they're at the bottom of the Eastern Conference right now. Last year's Supporter Shield winners. Uh, they got some issues in New England, and uh, we'll leave it to them to sort it out. Yeah, hopefully they can get it figured out before, you know, too much later in the season or else, you know, we're getting to that point where we're starting to look towards midseason. And if you're not figuring it out by now, maybe it's time to start making some changes 
uh, as far as who's starting, who's not, maybe who you're going to, if you can bring someone in in the midsummer just to try to inject some life into this team. But when you lose three to two to DC United, who also fired their head coach, um, that's right, DC United, another team fired their coach midseason, and they came back and won against a team that you normally wouldn't be able to do that against. Um, but it's it, it's looking like the Revs might have to uh, start rethinking some things. That's for sure. And I don't think it's going to come down to you know Bruce Arena's job or anything. But I definitely it's going to come down to some playing time for some of these guys that are supposed to be out there being leaders on the pitch. If if it keeps going like this, you know, to the midway point of the season, is Bruce Arena on the hot seat? Does Robert Kraft come out and fire Bruce Arena? That'll be an interesting thing to watch in MLS. And with the DC United, uh, they got a new player in Tax- Taxi Fontas. They came in, he's supposed to be a summer signing. They actually paid extra so that he could be released early from his contract with his former team. Made a big difference in this game. First game back, look to see, keep an eye on it at Taxi. I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced. Taxi Fontas uh, for DC United. Uh, story is Herman Lasada. They respect him as a coach, but he was just a big jerk. <laughs> He's a big jerk to the players, ran him into the ground, didn't have a lot of man management skills, didn't have a lot of man management with the front office either. That's a good way to get fired. Tick off your bosses. Uh, he had pushed back on that story earlier today, broken by the athletic. You expect him to, uh, but they still played his style. His style has benefits. They just don't have him coaching, running them into the ground and causing injuries and everything else that went on. Yeah. But yeah, of course, of course, he's going to put push back on this. He's going to come out and do a press conference like, please don't put in the newspapers that I was fired for being an asshole. <laughs> Stories come out in that athletic article uh, that Paul Ariola pushed to get sent away. Uh, because he didn't want to play under Herman Hernan Lozada anymore. I mean, at the end of the day, you're the head coach. You're not just as you're not just there to implement a strategy and and pick which players go on the field. You're there to manage the players in all senses of the term, outside of you know their personal lives. But you know you got to manage their playing time, manage who's getting the starts and who's act, you know put the right guys on the field. And if you keep running people into the ground and not listening to the front office and this, that, and the other thing, you're really not doing your job, even if you're getting a result here or there. You're not doing your job by, by you know, running everyone into the dirt and absolutely, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, being a big jerk. <laughs> yeah, being a big jerk, torpedoing your relationship with the front office and your players, yeah. Torpedoing people's form by overplaying them. That's what I was going for. Oh, there you go. Yes, also yes. Um... I think I think we all kind of knew this was a long time coming, and it just finally something finally snapped. And I, I think this was the right move for DC for sure. And as a head coach, you're also the face of management. So if you're taking off management, you're the face of management. Uh, but you're not in charge. There's a good chance you won't be in charge of whatever you've got for very long. Happens over and over again. It happened to Mike Schilt with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. So what we got next? Oh, a couple of teams in Texas at the top half this year of the uh, Western Conference. What'd you see of that yeah. uh, Dallas Dynamo game? Well, first of all, <laughs> I'm seeing something in Texas that is the exact opposite of what's happening in New England. And teams that needed to go in the right direction are going in, in the upward direction. And we had an absolutely beautiful game between FC Dallas and Houston Dynamo. Um, Dallas ended up getting the win 2-1 extra late there. Um, I think that final goal was at the at the death on a, on a corner kick, if I'm not mistaken. But really close. It was it was everything you'd expect from a from a Copa Tejas game. It, it, it just it had it was FC Dallas being FC Dallas. It was Dynamo actually stepping up and making plays. Uh, it was it was good to see both teams actually putting a quality product onto the pitch, um, as opposed to last year when they were trying to fight to be not Cincinnati. Yeah, D- Dallas was pretty pedestrian in the first seventy minutes. Then the subs uh, came on, 
they got some life in them. Big thing that happened for Houston here, when they have Darwin Quintero on the field, they score goals. He had to leave with a knock early in the second half. That's when they stopped scoring goals and Dallas got back in the game. Take what you will. Dallas didn't play that particularly well, but they got a big result. Uh, Big three points. So kudos to them. Yeah, Dallas definitely looking like they can uh, bite you when you least expect it. And that's kind of something that I've come to expect out of them over the last couple of years is, you know, especially when you've got Ferreira on the pitch now. Um, Again, they can they can bite you when you least expect it. But we'll see what what we have to come from these te- from the rest of Texas coming up this year. I think I, I can expect some big things for sure. Yeah, and I don't think Dallas or Houston's the best team in Texas. Oh no, I was about to say this next team is the one you really want to watch, though. I've been saying it all year. Austin FC absolutely rolling on on they're on a, on a on on a, on a skateboard, just rolling through the season right now, rolling over people, jumping hurdles and. You know, scoring some sick goals along the way, and uh, I think that was evidenced yet again after the absolute dismantling they did of of Whitecaps three nil this weekend, uh, and a lot of that was due to Maxi or Rudy and Driussi teaming up and absolutely giving the Whitecaps defenders fits all day. Yeah, I mean they're certainly rolling in league play uh, after they got cup set in the U.S. Open Cup in <laughs> extra time. <laughs> I don't think that's bad for them. I think they can focus on the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's. I think their their efforts are better spent focusing on on MLS and not U.S. Open Cup because that's where they're having their success. Stick with it and see. Who knows? Maybe we'll see them in the playoffs for the first time. Well, what are they feeding Maxi Uridi? Yeah. I mean, he's fulfilling a promise that he showed for years and years in MLS. He's been lights out. It may come down to Jerusi playing with him. Jerusi, something special. Yeah, there, there's something in the water down there in Austin. Speaking of goals coming in droves, we had an absolute goal fest up in New York underneath the shadow of that enormously huge championship banner for NYCFC. <laughs> Big, beautiful they banner. Toronto. <laughs> they ended up playing Toronto FC and won 5-4. to four. And don't let that fool you. After the first probably about 15 20 minutes of this game after NYC went down two to nothing they stormed back took the game and absolutely demolished TFC for a good portion of it ended up going up 5-2 just to let a couple of squeakers in at the end after losing a little bit of a handle on the game and Toronto kind of got some garbage points there but couldn't pull off the victory yeah there's some red lights out there for Toronto's defense they're not looking all that great. Bob Bradley's got his hands full trying to tighten that down. And, of course, he lost the handle on LAFC's defense last season or last couple of seasons as well. So we'll see what happens on that one. Someone uh, needs to get this man a defensive coordinator. I love what Matt Doyle said on uh, MLSsoccer.com about this. NYCFC was playing in their fifth home opener of the season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my god. <laughs> is it really a home opener if it's not actually your stadium? <laughs> it's a home game. Yeah. So you've got five different <laughs> stadiums you play in. <laughs> I don't think that counts. I don't think we've ever seen a true NYCFC home opener because they don't have their own. We're never going to see it because they're never going to get their own stadium. Has it gotten so bad that they've had to play at Hartford, Connecticut yet? <laughs> Oof. They did. I think it was CCL. If I'm recalling, they, there's, they've been all over the place. It's hard yeah. to say. I guess it doesn't count as a true home opener unless you're in the shadow of your gigantic championship banner. Uh, but yeah, the NYCFC is really going New York, New Jersey Metro stars with this uh, this stadium situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, Metro stars got their stadium <laughs> and NYCFC's already played there. <laughs> uh, uh, and plus... You know, those Red Bull Metro Stars fans don't like you bringing up the defending MLS champions NYCFC after they've been in the league for 20 plus years yeah. and haven't done that yet. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, on one hand, NYCFC has their big, beautiful banner. But on the other hand, the Red Bulls have a, have a home. So <laughs> who's to say which one's really better? <laughs> they have a few uh, supporter shields as well. They count for something. <laughs> 
Well, who knows? Maybe maybe having a home isn't the best of things, because when you look at the Red Bulls this year, they've won their first four road games, but they haven't won at home yet. So maybe have what's what's worth having a home stadium if you can't even win in it? Am I wrong? Hey, that the next uh, game coming up shows that this is the week for the vote for the uh, Miami Stadium in downtown Miami, and leading into it, all of a sudden, Inter Miami keeps winning. They won for the third uh, straight game in MLS, overcoming Atlanta, who put on probably their most cohesive brightest offense in the attack in the last three seasons but enter miami uh has leo Campagna, and they've got somebody can put the ball in the back of the net atlanta couldn't and enter miami beats atlanta and all of a sudden enter miami is on goal difference out of the playoff spots right now if i recall correctly that's four straight because they did win their cup game as well Mm -hmm. who saw this coming i certainly didn't Uh I'm not sure I saw this kind of a run of form coming from them, especially not against Atlanta. But I think Atlanta is still absolutely plagued by every injury you could possibly think of at the moment. But that that doesn't that doesn't lessen this this feat by any means for Inter Miami because they had how many roster problems trying to get this you know get through mm-hmm. the sanctions and everything after the absolute debacle they had to deal with. Yeah, and this is what we've been waiting to see, right? Is is that refiguring of the front office and that refiguring of the roster actually have effects on the field that's starting to come to pass now. So, well, not only that, this team looks interested. Uh, they look kind of fun to watch. The uh, first build, the OG build, as I've heard it called, uh, the players just seemed like they didn't care. Yeah, it was dire. Yeah. This not is, only uh, were they not good, they were not interesting either. Because like, like with San Jose, one of the best parts about that was they weren't good, but they were interesting, right? Yeah. And Gonzalo Higuain, through this run, has been on the bench injured, or so they say. Be interesting to see what happens when he comes back. Campania's the striker. He's on loan from an EPL team who's, which one escapes me right now? Aston Villa, I believe, uh, is where he's on loan to, they don't really have him, or maybe it's Wolves, but they don't have him in their future plans. Miami should go ahead and lock that up. Uh, But uh, Higuain hasn't played as a striker this year. He's been more used as a 10. So if Higuain comes back and, you know, just starts doing a little bit of work out there, he did put up numbers last year without putting in a lot of work. Uh, There really could be something brewing in Miami while they're still working with a cobbled together a team with uh, less talent than they probably should have if they hadn't fouled up their original roster build so bad poorly. Yeah, and you mentioned the stadium though. It's almost like they're going um like see uh Seattle Mariners after the Kingdom vote, um trying to trying to save their skin. <laughs> yeah, it's like a player in the NHL playing in a contract year. He's been trashed for the last three seasons, but his contract's up at the end of the year. So now he's going to put in a career year to try to up that money because who pays attention to anything past the last season, right? That's right. Gotta get paid, man. As far as actual news in MLS goes, though, I think the last thing I have is we got a big trade come out of Columbus. Uh, we saw Jossie Zardes get traded to Colorado. That's right. Jossie's going to be playing his trade for the Rapids for the rest of this season. Columbus ended up pulling in, I think it was... Somewhere in the neighborhood of three hundred thousand in in uh, allocation money, with up to one point two five million with incentives being met. So, what do you what do you guys think about this change? I, I know Jossie's not wasn't playing in Columbus. Do you think he can help the uh, the Rapids more than he was helping the crew? Well, he, Rapids didn't have anybody put the ball in the net. Zardes hasn't put the ball in the net a lot lately. Uh, but at least we know he can score poacher goals. Well, the it's hard to put balls in the net when he's not on the pitch. Yeah, that's true. Plus, the wingers for the crew last year and even this year were just so terrible. There wasn't a lot of service to get a chance to put the ball in the net either. Uh, crew now winless in their last five. Colorado with a really poor draw. Zardes did get in that game, even though he'd been with the team for one day. Tells you what they think about getting him in. <laughs> <laughs> and again, they don't have a DP. 
they rely upon the 300 in uh, Tam to get them the striker. They desperately need to actually win something. Uh, see if it works for them. Yeah. But yeah, with the crew, this uh, gotten. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, with the crew, this uh, the Caleb Porter cycle is not holding true this season. It doesn't look like they had this tepid draw. They shipped off Zardes. They got cup set by Detroit City. It's not it was, looking good in Columbus. <laughs> they just don't have anything happening in attack at all. And they just uh, the wing play just uh, the on the edges is just poor. Very poor. How about the New York Red Bulls dismantled Orlando this past week? They now are won their fourth straight game on the road to open a season. They played four, won all of them. They're winless at home. I guess it's now NYCFC's home there at Red Bull Arena. <laughs> They're going to have to move the banner. <laughs> that might take way too much time, way too much effort, and they'd probably have to call in some of the taxpayer money to really help them get this job done. Yeah. They might have to play a couple extra games away in nearby stadiums so they can get the move done. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. That they I can't mean, that banner is huge. Dude. They can't it's move the huge. banner. Someone would have to clear the junk out of their back seat. <laughs> yeah, it's they're on 14 points, the Red Bulls are. Uh they kind of cleaned house. Struber kind of reshuffled his lineup, took the veterans out, put his guys in. He's getting his guys to play his system, which is very much like, you know, what Lutz wants for City. Um, and they're really clicking. They're not the prettiest. They're kind of kind of ugly to watch their games. Not quite as pretty as the ugly games under Jesse Marsh back in the day. They were a little more pretty than this. But they're being effective, and if they figure out how to win at home, they figured out how to win on the road. That's a good thing. Tennessee took the loss to the Galaxy on a late winner uh, for the Galaxy. Tennessee, though, finishes their eighth game, I believe, uh, road trip to start the season, waiting for their stadium to open. They're getting out of this even with uh, not playing well the last two times. They got 11 do points you, out of this road trip. Why are you calling do you Tennessee mean Nashville? Nashville? <laughs> oh, Nashville. I don't know. Why am I? They're down in Tennessee. Nashville. Everyone in. Uh, the Coyotes. Yeah, the Oaks. We're, 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 <laughs> we're going to start calling them Tennessee. I'm now. heavily medicated after my stay in the hospital, I'll have you know. <laughs> You're but, not uh, even the one with COVID brain fog. <laughs> Yeah, that's my job. <laughs> but, uh, yes, Nashville, uh, they now only have nine row games left the whole rest of the season. 20-some-odd home games, and they still got 11 points out of this. They're actually looking pretty good to finish out in the West and uh, climb up the standings there. Any, uh, You know, it's getting to silly season over in Europe as the seasons are winding down and the league's over there. Any uh, crazy rumors you're hearing about uh, old players coming to MLS, Sean? Well, uh, I'm not sure how crazy these might really be, but I did see reports that Gareth Bale is in talks with DC United about coming in and joining their squad in this in the midsummer, and I, for one, think that'd be very exciting. Um, not not just because I'm a fan of him or anything. Those rumors have been around a while too. It'd be crazy to see him play in MLS. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the rumors have been there, but I haven't really seen him ever actually be in talks with a team. But there are reports that he's actively talking with the club at DC United about coming in. And I know DC has been linked with some other big names in the past, but they did also get Wayne Rooney. So, you know, a few years, several years ago. But I'll believe it when I see it. I'm just reporting what I'm what I'm picking up on, on the radar. Um, another US big is name. A big, U.S. is a big country. There's a whole lot of new golf courses for him to play over here. <laughs> yeah, I think if he can actually get playing time on the pitch, he's not going to come just to pick up a paycheck. He can still he could just he could find anywhere in Europe to do that. Heck, he could go back to his boyhood club and actually just ride the pine pony and everyone would love to have him back just to have him back. But, you know. Yeah, it's That's getting to prove that uh, if you're an older player like that, you're coming for retirement in MLS. Uh, the players in the the league, the travel, going to eat you up. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, for Gonzalo sure. Gonzalo Higuain, I think, has found that out. Uh, Steven Gerrard really found that out. There's a lot of them 
It'll just tear you alive if you don't take it seriously in MLS. And and clubs just aren't looking for retirement players anymore either. They want to compete. But oh yeah, somebody 100%. will take take Bale. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would take Eric Bale. He doesn't have a Heck, lot of miles I, on those legs right anymore because he hasn't played for Real Madrid in <laughs> years, so to speak. Who else is out there? Well, we do have someone who was who was given a warning by said Gonzalo Higuain. Um, Luis Suarez, that's right. Mr. Bitey Bitey is looking to come to the MLS. He said he was tempted by the chance and is reportedly in talks with David Beckham and Inter Miami about joining their squad. And Higuain, when he was asked about the, about the, uh, the report, he said... You know, he's I, when I came over, I thought I could just come over and start playing with a cigar in my mouth. And I learned it's a lot harder than that. And if and he compared the league to Serie A, which is big praise from someone of his standing saying it's like playing in Serie A. That's big. We're com- we just got compared to one of the best leagues in the world. We're we're on our way up there. I'm not saying that that holds too much water, but we're our our league is on the way up, and I think Suarez coming over would bring us back down into that retirement standing, and I don't want that. Manuel Vetha of Transfer Market, I heard him. Maybe it was on Flyover Footy, says that over in Europe, when it comes to transferring, trading, you know, ability to pay, other factors like that, MLS is looked on as one of the top ten leagues in the in the world. Yeah, I, I think that like MLS as a league doesn't get a lot of respect from international fans, but like from other leagues, I think that we do somewhat. The play is hard. It's very physical, very physical, like most of the games are in this hemisphere, South America, Central America, MLS, very physical, very hard. Technical quality isn't always there, though. That's vastly improving most games. Uh, The travel is something that, you know, these players will only get once a year in Europe, and that's if they're in the Europa League having to go to Uzbekistan or for a game once. These players got to do it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Traveling distances that uh, they, they, they do in an entire season. Uh, yeah. in their countries, and now they have to do it in one road trip. Yeah, depending on where you land uh, in Europe, you could uh, travel a distance and be three countries over, and over here you could travel that same distance and still be in Texas. Yep, really. Uh, Miami goes to Seattle, that's what, 2,500 miles? Then they fly down to LA, that's another nearly 1,000 miles there. And uh, that's where it really eats you up, even if just flying north to south in the center of the country, near approaching a thousand miles of travel. And, you know, there's countries in Europe that don't have a thousand miles to travel within them. So, you know, you're playing a continent here. You're not playing a country. But uh, Suarez, he's been rumored to be one somebody that's wanted and he's talked about coming over in the past. Uh, he might actually be somebody that does have the attitude to come over and still have enough quality to make a difference, uh, be a player, be somebody to contribute. Uh, Enter Miami, where are they going to put him? You know, you can't just accumulate names. You need, you, you really need somebody on the back line. You really need somebody in midfield. Don't really need too much on the wings right now. Uh, especially at striker, you've got a hot striker, the hottest striker in MLS right now in Campania. So not sure about that. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure he'd fit in very well. Especially after Miami just went through all this work to reconfigure their roster. You don't want to just be accumulating names. Any other rumors out there? Uh, the last rumor I've got is uh, Juventus center back Giorgio Cialini has also said he is tempted by the possibility, once his contract is up in July, of hopping the pond and coming over here. And How old is I'm he? Seeing, I think he's like 37, 36. I, I think he's like wrong. 38. He looks like he's 45. <laughs> I saw he's going to retire from international football. He's of that age. But still, it's a 
it's a big name that could be coming over and who knows i don't see him making the jump and actually having having any staying power at his age but who he's knows? still playing corner uh, center back at a very high level and there's a position in mls that you can come over if you play you can play uh somebody like him could slot in and really and just his knowledge to help a back line i i actually think there might be a little more into this somebody will take a chance and he might play well especially a club like say fc cincy that really needs help on their back line yeah jeff cameron really hasn't provided that Cellini's at a step above that though cameron did play very well for club and country for quite a few years anything else out there guys that's about all i've got on uh on all thing well air quotes all things mls this week i think that is about it for me as well Ooh, and while we're talking here on Tuesday, we missed a barn burner in uh, UEFA Champions League. Man City did uh, hold off Real Madrid at home 4-3 in that one. They did all that while we were talking. That's more for us internals here. Real Madrid got that one back pretty late, though. Last I had seen it was 4-2 before we started. Yeah, so, yep, didn't have it on, so didn't see it, but uh, just a... <laughs> up the date up uh, as fast as can possibly be. He'll already read all the stories before you even hear this episode. <laughs> and you know that we love to cover UEFA. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us this week. I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your post-COVID hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>